Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Um, and so for those of you who are new or who are terrible with names like me, my name's Tish, um, and I'm definitely qualified to speak up here. Um, I started my Master's in Theology two weeks ago. Uh, so, great. Um, but I was uh, relatively easily convinced to speak because um, as a pastor's kid, I know how important it is to let pastors have a weekend away with your family. Um, so today I'm speaking about mercy. And if I'm honest, it's a bit new to me, uh, or at least the talking about it is. It's not my usual shtick. Um, I chose to do a master's in theology because I wanted to know more and because I recognise that actually I know next to nothing. Um, I know a reasonable amount about queer theology and very little about anything else, which is why I agreed to do today, <laughs> because nothing forces you to learn uh, like the threat of public humiliation. Um, so speaking in front of you all is very motivating, so thank you. Um, and also, as the theme of today is mercy, um, if I say anything terrible, please just take it as like a practical lesson in giving mercy to me. Um, so mercy, as I've discovered as I've been scouring books and the Bible and Google the other Bible, has a lot of meanings. Um, and I cannot possibly talk about all the ways that people have understood mercy. But I also actually wanted to start off today by learning from you all, because we love doing a roving mic. Um, so I wanted to start off this sermon with asking you a question. What is mercy? And I don't think I actually put the question in the slide, so that's bad on my part. No. So sorry about that. Um, it's a very short question, though, so I think you'll hopefully manage to remember it. But basically, my question is, what do you think mercy is? Um, or an extension of that question could be, what is an experience that you've had that exemplifies or sort of has shown what mercy is to you? So if anyone's feeling brave and wanting to speak, go for it. I'll give you all a second. Um, I always get quite emotional when I hear the word mercy or grace. I feel like they're siblings um, because I feel like personally and probably as a society, we spend like a lot of time expecting people to uh, judge us. So we like have a lot of expectations about how we live and then if you don't live up to them, like you've already judged yourself a lot and then you're expecting the judgment of others. So if you get shown mercy or grace, it's like quite a profound thing and I, so I get even emotional sort of like looking at the word. Maybe I'm just emotional today. <laughs> but yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is why Sarah has to move to Sydney because it's just like the A-team. Um <laughs> I think of, in like a similar vein to what Sarah was saying, I think of, you know those, is it Myers-Briggs tests? And they ask you like, do you value justice or mercy? And I always get to that because every few years I redo them and I'm like, oh yeah, tell me about myself now, psychology test. But I always get to that question and I sit there for like five minutes and really struggle with it because like 
I can look at something like take International Women's Day, for example. I get so fired up about it and so mad and just want to march the entirety of the patriarchy into the ocean on International Women's Day. And then I just sit there and I'm like, there is no mercy in this way of being either. And that's so hard. Like, you know, it's like those two moral things that don't fit together and yet God has space for that. I think to follow on from that, um, that mercy feels like a very personal thing, uh, whereas I think justice can be rolled out across a society. Um, but I think mercy is somebody looking at you and saying, okay, you've done that, the expectation was that, mercy on you. That feels very much me. Just not going to do any sort of speaking after this. Um, like Grace, I think, something that's not necessarily deserved like like when I ask God for mercy in a, in a situation I don't feel I necessarily deserve it but it would be something that's given to me out of his love uh, just this last week my partner and I asked each other to marry each other and we both said yes Um, but the mercy part was that I don't have my old divorce papers from 20 years ago and I'd have to go through a lot of paperwork and a lot of stuff to to get it and so I thought well shall I ask my ex and so I sent a message and a polite message to my ex who I haven't spoken to in many 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 years still have the phone number they still have the phone number And I was just thinking, please have mercy. Come on, please, please. And I prayed to God and I'm like, and I'm waiting, waiting and no response. And then message, okay, but you should have the papers. And I'm like, no, I don't. But could you please send me a copy, please? And the response was, yes, okay, no problem. And then no, no response again. And I'm thinking like, Two days go past and I'm like, ah, and then, ding, ah, there it is, mercy. (laughs) All right, we might leave it there because there'll be a chance to chat at the end. We don't want the sort of snowball that often happens. All right, so some ideas I had when I was brainstorming about mercy were... That mercy is messy, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable at times. It means seeing other people and seeing the image of God in other people. That it's an active thing and not a passive thing. That mercy is saying no to ritual purity and sacrifice and saying yes to compassion. Mercy is loving justice, kind of as Matt talked about. Mercy is more than pity, is feeling compassion and being moved into action. Um, And I think as sort of came up then, like two of the main sort of biblical connotations and also I think just general connotations of mercy are the pardoning one who is in the wrong, that undeserving giving of mercy, and also showing kindness and compassion to someone in need. I'm probably focusing slightly more on the latter just because I can't do everything or can only do a tiny bit really. Um, 
And so for those of you who have been around lately, you'll know that, as Annika said earlier, we've jumped on board the Beatitudes for Lent train. It's good enough for Richard Rohr and for Common Grace, and it's definitely more than good enough for us. Um, so this week is Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. It comes in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he is preaching a pretty killer of a sermon to the large crowds gathered there. And I think the Sermon on the Mount could almost be described as a kind of manifesto of Jesus. The Beatitudes are poetic and beautiful, but they're also quite deeply shocking. They're shocking because they show how upside down God's kingdom or kingdom, we put the gene brackets a lot here, um, is. They're shocking because they are political and they pose a challenge to those in power as well as to the people not in power, I think, of this one as well. A challenge to all of us. Mercy is, I think, at the core of God's upside-down kingdom. According to Matthew's gospel, mercy is one of the weightier matters of the law in 23 and 23, that God desires mercy over sacrifice in 9.13, as we'll chat about later. And Jesus is frequently portrayed as responding to the pleas of those who ask him to have mercy on them. Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Mercy, especially of those who, like me, have grown up in the church, perhaps doesn't sound that radical anymore. It's a word we've heard a lot, something that we've been told to do a lot, although I think it still is. But first, before we get into that, I wanted to look at what it may have meant um, in Jesus' day at the time when he was preaching his sermon. Um, And if we look at the Greek word, which I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of, because it's like two weeks into Greek, Elios was originally used to describe the emotion that was aroused by contact with an undeserved affliction, which comes on someone else. Compassion is not a perfect, but I think like a helpful way of describing it in English. The Romans followed the Stoic line of thought, which regarded mercy or compassion as being kind of like a sickness of the soul or something that was feared because it would cause partiality in judgment. To the Romans, mercy was a weakness. Strengths were courage, discipline, strict justice, and absolute power. Mercy, on the other hand, was contemptible. So what Jesus is saying is kind of incredibly political. Jesus is putting those who are at the top of the current kingdom in his time and saying that actually in my kingdom it is the opposite. His words directly challenge those who are in positions of power as well as, I think, challenging us. And the majority of the people listening to Jesus' sermon were probably not very privileged. They lived in occupied land under enemy rule. Many of them would have been forced off their own lands and then forced to work and pay taxes on their own lands. Enemy rule, which as we spoke about, did not value mercy but rather strength and power. But Jesus here I don't think is challenging just the powerful. When you have little power, it's easy to justify being non-merciful. I think kind of as Kat was talking about before, it's easy to be like the patriarchy is terrible, let's throw them all in the sea. <laughs> so, and I fall down that path a lot, but I think God sometimes calls us perhaps higher as well. God calls us to be merciful just as he, as God, is merciful, and frankly, it's a challenge. Mercy challenges us to look beyond ourselves, it's knowing that we are all on the same team, knowing that we are children of God called to work together for the benefits of one another and not just towards our own benefits. It is an upside-down kingdom. 
What kind of a kingdom values mercy over perfection, values mercy over power? And I think it's the kingdom of God. And so Richard Rohr is next because our community loves him. Here we go. So Richard Rohr says, more than something God does now and then, mercy is who God is. According to Jesus, mercy is what pleases me, not sacrifice. The word used throughout the Hebrew scriptures is chesed. Honestly, I don't know how to pronounce it. Looks a lot like Jesus. The steadfast, enduring love, which is unbreakable. Sometimes it is translated as loving kindness or covenant love. God has made a covenant with creation and will never break the divine side of the covenant. The covenant is only broken from our side. God's love is steadfast. It is written in the divine image within us. We are the ones who instead clutch at our sins and beat ourselves instead of surrendering to the divine mercy. Refusing to be forgiven is a form of pride. It's saying, I'm better than mercy. I'm only going to accept it when I'm worthy and can preserve my so-called self-esteem. Only the humble person, the little one, can live in and after mercy. So mercy is what pleases God, and it's also who God is. And so I want us to look at the passage in Matthew 9.13 that Raw mentions, where Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here Jesus is quoting Hosea 6.6, which says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And the context that Jesus is being saying this is that he's being asked by the Pharisees why he hangs out with tax collectors and people that they label as sinners. They're essentially asking, why do you hang out with such scum? Because to them, the tax collectors and the sinners are unclean and impure. And by hanging out with them, you become ritually impure. They're telling Jesus that he should be pure as they are. And Jesus challenges their exclusive and shallow notions of purity. Jesus is showing mercy to people. Jesus is going out to the people who excluded by the Pharisees, the religious elite and by the society at the time. He's going out to them and showing mercy. He is doing what God desires. He is doing a part of who he is. What I think God desires of us as well is also mercy. Jesus is perhaps saying, don't you see? Don't you get it? I'm not found in perfectly executing rituals, but in loving my people. And seeing all of God's people as made in the image of God, as included and not separate to you. In God's upside down kingdom, it is right to go to those who are marginalized and on the edges of society and spend time with them eating and drinking. Jesus says it is the opposite of what the Pharisees think God, think where God is. God is not found in rituals perfectly practiced and in tithing to the nth degree. Rather, God is found in the marginalized. Here, God incarnate in Jesus, quite literally found with the marginalized and on the fringes. But the Pharisees on the other hand, the Pharisees on the other hand, are saying, "I don't want to touch them because I'd rather stay pure. I'd rather walk past the poor." and those who I think are below me and pay my temple duties. And Jesus flips this upside down. Jesus says that actually God is a God of mercy who desires mercy, and that that is the pathway to God. And the opposite of mercy is bondage rituals that only benefit yourself and instead ignore others. 
Religiosity without love and compassion for God's people is the opposite of what God desires. In Luke 10.25, a lawyer asks, who is my neighbour? And in asking this, he's asking, who should I love? In Leviticus, it says to love your neighbour as yourself. And the traditional sort of Jewish understanding at the time had quite a limited view of who your neighbour was. So this man, in asking who his neighbour is, is asking, who can I exclude? Who do I have to include? Who can I not love and who can I not show mercy to? And Jesus answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan um, in Luke 30 to 37, text 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and so he was probably a Jew and thus hated by the Samaritans. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he sent him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of the three do you think proved to the neighbour, to the man who fell among the robbers? Sorry, proved neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And so mercy sees people. It sees people that are different to you as people. It sees distress and hurt and responds. Mercy, I think, is compassion that acts. Mercy is practical. It's a practical effort by the Samaritan to help this man. It's the binding up of wounds, the placing the man on his own donkey and spending his own money. Mercy is seeing beyond the traditional boundaries about who is in and out. It's about going to other people different from yourself and seeing them as your neighbour. And who is your neighbour? Everyone, Jesus replies, even the Samaritan that you hate. And so mercy is not a solitary action. It's not something that we can do or receive by ourselves. To practice mercy, I think we have to be engaged in the messiness of the world. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he is asking people to think of themselves in relation to others, even people who they may have previously felt nothing in common with, like the Jews and the Samaritans. So Rod posted in the Facebook group recently, um, and so I'm going to quote him, seeing as he's not here, and he'd probably hate this, but he can't really do much about it. Um, So he spoke about how we are proud that this space, this community is a safe, and open and thoughtful space and that without taking away from the importance of providing a safe and open place to think, he was reminded of a quote that he'd heard recently, um, that paying attention is more important than thinking. And to quote him directly, I think I put it in the slide. (laughs) In other words, thinking is important but it is just a means to an end, not an end in itself. And that end is paying attention to what is in front of us 
and in imitation of Jesus, working with God to bring love and healing to what we encounter. Or I might add to that, to show mercy. And then Rod went on to say that we definitely need to do the thinking required to clear away the things that get in the way, that prevent us from paying attention to what is really in front of us, that prevent us from seeing each other, that prevent us from noticing pain, noticing what is present, noticing what and who is absent. But if we don't use that space that our thinking creates to actually pay attention, to actually notice and know each other, then we are never going to really be a blessing to each other and we will never become a true community of compassion and information. And I think mercy is that paying attention and that compassion and that compassion that moves us to action. For me, mercy challenges me to step beyond just thinking all the time and overthinking and it moves me into action to show love to people. You can't really show mercy by doing nothing. Um, does anyone watch the TV show, The Good Place? Woo, quite a few, great. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, and in the TV show, The Good Place, which for those of you who don't know, is a hilarious show set in the afterlife. <laughs> That's the best I can explain it. I don't want to give away any spoilers. Um, one of the characters, and one of my favourite characters, is Chidi, who was an ethics professor in his life. And he would think about things so much and for so long that he would never take any action often to his detriment or to the detriment of those around him and his friends. Chidi is so concerned about what the most ethical thing to do that he often ends up never actually doing anything, which is also in its own way a decision and an action in itself. And sometimes that inaction has negative consequences. And sometimes I'm also like that, and I think it can be easy to be like that. In current social justice circles sometimes, we sometimes spend so long talking and debating about what to do that we never quite get to the doing part. Our government sometimes spends ridiculous amounts of money researching social issues without often ever taking any action on them. It's just a new research into it. And I think mercy is the opposite of inaction, the opposite of greed. I think it's perhaps one, one antidote to our consumerist and capitalistic culture that privileges few. Mercy is loving compassion that so moves us to act. And I don't want you to think that by saying that I'm saying that thinking is not important because it is. We've all been or seen or I've definitely been the well-intentioned person who probably should have done some more thinking before they acted in ignorance in their attempts to be loving. But thinking so much that we are paralysed from acting is certainly something that I also struggle with. But I think it's something that we have to try to move beyond. And again, to go back to the fave Richard Raw. Oh, there's a quote that I made. We do not attain anything by our own holiness, but by 10,000 surrenders to mercy. A lifetime of received forgiveness allows us to become mercy. That's the beatitude. We become what we receive, what we allow into our hearts. Mercy becomes our energy and purpose. Perhaps we are finally enlightened and free when we can both receive it and give it away without payment or punishment. So we don't become merciful by overthinking. We become merciful by receiving mercy, by what we allow in. A past teacher that I used to have always said that what is down in the well comes up in the bucket. 
In other words, what we let into ourselves and hold on to is what inevitably flows out. If we let in mercy over anger and bitterness or we let in mercy over greed and selfishness, I think perhaps it will inevitably flow out. And I should only put words that I can pronounce properly in these things. So blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The blessing pronounces that the merciful will receive mercy. Perhaps it means that surely they will be treated with mercy at the end. I don't know. But in a broader sense, it could also mean that they will see mercy prevail. In a broader sense, it may mean simply that they will see that they will receive mercy not only for themselves, but for those on whose behalf they have sought it. The incoming of God's kingdom is a blessing to those who value mercy. Because God also values mercy. And when God rules, what God values will become reality. But God doesn't just value mercy. God is mercy. And mercy is a fundamental part of who God is. Now that I've rambled a lot, um, and I think we still have a little bit of time left, I'd love to hear what you're all thinking. Um, Any thoughts that you've had while I've just spat a lot of words at you? Um, Because I'd love to learn from your experiences of mercy or any thoughts that you've had because my voice is certainly not the most experienced or the most valid one. So pass the mic around again. Give you a moment or two to think about them. Um, I love that you talked about the story of the Samaritan and the Jew, and I, um, I could, I could be wrong, and so correct me if I am. But I remember reading this in the past and looking into the like the dynamics between Samaritans and Jewish relationship of the time, and. If I'm remembering correctly, like a, the Samaritan is um, considered very a dirty person to the Jew, and um, you know if there was a sort of hierarchy, they were below, so to speak. And and so I think about this in the modern context, and I was just thinking about, you know, we were talking about, um, and I laughed when you were saying it about the putting the patriarchy into the sea. It's funny, and I and I agree, and I think. I try to make this story relevant to my own life, and I so I think of um, perhaps the modern day example of the, this story to me would be um, like a bigoted. I, I just think of like some American politicians, um, someone that I strongly like have a really hard time having any love for, someone that's a racist or. Um, homophobic, someone that's oppressing people, and I imagine if they're injured, you know, and the black queer woman looks after them, you know, that to me is so powerful, and I think that that is mercy, and I, and so I, I don't know, I just thought I would share that, so thank you for sharing, that was great. Um, I really liked uh, what you were saying. I can't remember, I think it was Richard Rohr that was quoting um, how receiving mercy requires humility and um, letting go of pride. Um, And I think that 
all of the times that I've received mercy has required a period of recovery <laughs> just to, to actually digest the fact that I don't owe anything anymore. I've been watching Wentworth, um, so most of the things in my head have prison themes. Um, and it's really interesting um, how every time any kind of act of mercy happens in a prison sitting, <laughs> in a prison setting, there's always something that's required in return, usually something much worse. And, um, and, and then the person who has got what they, um, what they wanted is always left wondering if that was actually worth it. Um, and I think that the interruption of that currency of I've given you something so now you owe me something is what's so beautiful about the kingdom of God. Um, it's like an inter any kind of interruption to that natural selection and survival of the fittest um, always is very disarming to me. And like Sarah said, the word mercy and grace often leaves me feeling very emotional just because of the disarming nature of that interruption to natural selection. I think whenever I walk into the city and I see the people sitting on the street, you know, waiting for food or hungry or trying to um, kill their pain with substances or whatever. I just think, I see, well, I see all the people just rushing past without even looking or they just in their peripheral vision like they don't matter. And I always have that, that vision of the Good Samaritan, my, you know, it just pops in my head now and again when I think to myself, oh, I'm in a hurry, I'm in a hurry too, I'm in the city and I've got to get somewhere. And I'm, and I'm just seeing them going past. And I think well, I should stop once in a while and just say hello. Just ask them how they are or just you know, treat them like a person. And I think, well, in my life I've been that place too. So we just slow down a little bit, you know, on a weekend or whenever. Just slow down and say hello. Um, when I grew up and I followed Christ, I thought it was about transcending my human experience, and I wanted that in many ways because life's boring. So I played World of Warcraft, um, <laughs> but then I realised that it wasn't raising my hands; it was putting my hands down to pick others up. And I think for me, it was so easy to show mercy and love and compassion to my peers and to those that I really confided with. But it's always the hardest thing. It's it's it's, it's it is it. it took a divine God to show us how to be more human. And I struggle with that because I play World of Warcraft and I'm a social drake. So. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's always a crazy thing. Um, I think I was thinking about just how much easier it actually feels at sometimes to show mercy to somebody so different to me because I can feel good about it. But then when I have to show mercy to someone that I love that's done something that then needs mercy it feels so much harder at times um especially like your own family you feel like oh like I don't know how to do that or I don't want that probiotic don't do it <laughs> but um to actually yeah I don't know to like come come back and feel like 
I understand how to freely give mercy to those closer to me feel harder at times. And um, um, just follow on what Ben was saying, but also in this, this slide here, um, the, the receive forgiveness allows us to become mercy and not have gratitude. The the act of us actually receiving mercy being transformative for us, um, that's, that's stuck in my mind. I think about that a bit. Um, because, um, yeah, I've, I'm aware that to receive mercy uh, and, and have it actually do its thing, I've got to dismiss my pride. And the pride comes first so often and gets in the way of so much that's happening. And I think it's, it's easy... It's easy almost to dismiss being shown mercy and just sort of say, yeah, well, I've built up a, a store of goodness by all my good stuff. And so there I, you know, I deserve a few free, free hits almost. But that's not the point. And the, and the point is for us to break down our, our pride and to be transformed by the kindness of others and, and undeserved grace and mercy. And if, if in doing that we can ourselves become changed, so it becomes second nature to show that to other people. And that's... I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of pride being pulling me in an opposite direction to receiving mercy before, but that's something in those words and what you said this morning appeared in my mind. Yeah, I think just following on from pride being a blocker to receiving mercy, it's been interesting to, to witness how sometimes pride can also be a blocker to actually giving mercy in the right way. And I really like what you talked about, mercy being um, practical. Um, I've had um, a very interesting incident where someone has come up to me, because I've recently had a, had a little baby, and someone's come up to me um, with all great intentions and have said, we've started this great new program for mums who have just had Kids, um, studies have shown that mums who have um, babies are significantly less active after they have babies than before. Um, and I said, oh, I hope you didn't spend a lot of money on that. And they said, well, what we've done now, so the problem here is mums who have babies are not active. So we've made a program to get mums active. And I said, oh, that's great. Does it have crash facilities? Because, you know, that's... And they just looked at me like, no, 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 the problem isn't crash facilities. The problem is there's no program out there to get mums active. So now we've made a program, we've solved the problem, come along to our program. And I said, well, I would love to get more active, but there's no one holding my baby. Like, and I said, no, so your program involves a lot of running around. Um, most people who've had a baby are going to wet themselves running around <laughs> that much. And they looked at me and they said, well, you should go see a physio for that. And I said, yeah, but no one's going to hold my baby while I, while I go to the physio to work on my pelvic floor. So, so um, it was just a classic and just in the – I don't want to, like, shout on this program. Because, but just in the – it's a very male-dominated, like, I know everything, I – you know, I've had to work with a lot of people and, and, you know, I'm the authority on all physical fitness. So, um, sorry. 
<laughs> something about the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, have you actually spoken to anybody? You know, like this is, um, you know, I feel like your pride of like, well, I know everything to do with this, this sport. And so therefore I am the best person to create this program for you. Um, yeah. And have you kind of put that, yeah, put that in check before? Yeah. But I do, I don't you know, I hope, I hope people. <laughs> Mercy is actually putting people in that place where they need to step into that place. Um, I really liked what you said about it was like drawing the connection between the decision-making thing, like making a decision to act on like a merciful impulse. Did I ever attain that sort of impulse? But like... <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but like... And like the that you spend so much time thinking... And then, like, the moment's gone and you haven't actually done the thing. But, like, it's almost like by doing, that's, you know, the answer to the problem of just sitting there thinking. Because if you've made a decision, you don't have to sit there thinking about what you're going to do anymore. You probably, well, potentially might have to go, did I make the right decision? But at least you've, like, gone on that one step. It's like the whole stepping out of the boat in faith thing and just being like, all right, well, I don't know if I'm making the right decision, but to make, like I always say, the fastest way to learn the right answer is to make a massive mistake. And, like, that's my approach to work, which my boss just loves. Um, <laughs> but, like, you find out what's wrong with your thing immediately because you've stuffed up. And if you make a decision, like I think we, like in our culture, we're so obsessed with making the right choice, or maybe that's just my own internal culture, but, like, if you make the wrong choice, like, there is no wrong choice because you're hopefully resting in that mercy at the end of, that, of the day anyway. I was struck by um, when you were saying that, um, you know, in terms of the Romans, like they didn't really value mercy and that they um, thought of it as a weakness because I feel in society like now, like really we generally don't value mercy still. And I've often found myself in situations where um, I'm someone who finds it easy to empathize and to show compassion and then, you know, then want to exhibit mercy. But often I find that people see it as, weakness as um just like not making good decisions it's like oh well you know but you're going to get taken advantage of if you do that and it's just it's so I didn't like realizing today like how countercultural it is um but then looking at Jesus's life and being like well you know ultimately like what happened to him and you know um and I'm sure a lot of people were like you know telling him too that like oh you're going to get you know taken advantage of and like you know why are you like hanging out here with these people like you know Oh, they're drunks, you know, they're going to, you know, they're they're criminals. Like, I mean, I can imagine that that would be the conversation and the panther around him, and he still chose to live that life. And that's and that's my tension of wanting to walk that life, but then often feeling like, oh, is this, you know, is this something that, you know, is this the smartest thing to do? And then all those kind of thoughts that are not unreasonable thoughts, they just creep in and that, um, and that idea of, oh, people think that I'm just, like, really gullible. Um, but that mercy is 
is an action. It's just it's active. It's actually something that you don't just passively do. And yeah, I've, I've really found today challenging, but encouraging in that. Yeah, like confirming that that's something that we should always strive for, even if everyone around us thinks resilient. with not really a blessing but like a kind of blessing so <laughs> may we recognize and celebrate the mercy of others and of God may we let mercy into our lives and into our deeper selves and may we show and be mercy and may mercy prevail Go in peace. Amen, Amen.